Hello there, old and new friends. Welcome to Divine Musing, Episode 3, The Voice of Shame. I am Destiny Rambo Corey, and I am so thankful that you have joined me for this journey into scripture, literature, poetry, and prayer as we view them through the light of transformation and growth. Here's something I've been thinking about lately. I want to begin with a few excerpts from this book, Meditations for Compulsive People by Father Leo Booth. I was first introduced to this work in the fall of 2016. After a long battle with repressed trauma that manifested as depression and unhealthy coping mechanisms, I decided I just wanted to go to sleep and make the pain go away. I overdosed on a combo of medications, and the next thing I knew, three days had passed, and I woke up in the hospital. If you'd like to hear more of me telling that story completely, there's a video on YouTube titled Destiny Rambo Corey Testimony. I don't want to focus too much today on the road that led to that moment. Rather, I want to lean into the part of my journey to inner healing. After my stay in the hospital, I was transferred to the most incredible trauma rehabilitation center. For 32 days, 12 hours a day, I went through the most intense program that focused on the healing of the entire self, spirit, soul, and body. During one of our small group sessions, we were given printouts of the first chapter of this book entitled, My Name is Shame. But I'm going to focus just on a few key segments, not read the entire chapter. Deep breath. Here we go. I came upon you when you were young when you were very young, before you understood, before you could speak, before you realized I was there, I came upon you. I created feelings of unworthiness, disgust, inferiority, ugliness, stupidity, poverty, and difference. I tarnished the image of God. I existed before the guilt. I lived before the action. I was the whisper before the sound. Always I enter through the back door, unseen, unwanted, and yet the first to arrive. Guilt grows in me. Guilt finds its strength alongside me. I mold guilt into shape. My name, my name is shame. The world asks, where does shame come from? From anywhere and everywhere. The condescending glance from a parent, the awkward appearance in the mirror, the cruel remark from children, feelings and actions condemned by the preacher, and that touch, that touch that does not feel right. Oh yes, I come from anywhere and everywhere. I bring the pain that does not go away. Shame. My name is Shame. I make you feel dirty, guilty, less than, inferior. My tools are prejudice, fear, control, anger, and abuse. I make you what you are, what you have, how you look, and destroy you with them. I make you victims. Whew, that was a lot. I highly recommend reading this book in its entirety, though I will warn you that the segments I passed over could be triggering due to the nature of the language and content. Um, I edited it a little bit today because I want this video to be accessible for all, but if you choose to read the book, um, you have been warned. Um, it's very intense at times, but so powerful. 
Um, when I was little, I remember watching a cartoon where the main character had these two figures on his shoulders. One was a demon and the other was an angel. Each of them looked like the main character, just dressed like in a costume, and that always puzzled me. Why on earth would the angels and the demons look like me? As an adult, I definitely feel those characters pop up on a daily basis. Um, only they're not necessarily wearing like a toga around their wings or a red leather unitard <laughs> holding a pitchfork. Um, one, one voice is always the voice of love. And in many ways, it feels like it's a projection of the Holy Spirit in a way that I can understand. On the other shoulder is the voice of shame. Funny enough, they always speak in my own voice much the same way as in the cartoon. I'm sure not the only one that has experienced this sort of odd phenomenon. Does anyone else have issues of hearing shame so much louder than the voice of love? Shame literally shouts accusations while love whispers peacefully. Love is courteous and patient and kind, while shame is literally like someone laying on the horn of their car behind you after you've been in an accident, trying to force you to go where, you want it, where it wants you to go, even when you literally just can't move. The scriptures talk a lot about shame. In the Old Testament, there are so many references to being shamed or put to shame or acting shamefully. It's spoken of like it's a cloak that befalls sinners or some kind of social status that is just thrust upon you by the actions of others. Interestingly enough, there is not a single mention of the word shame that passes through Jesus's lips. But when I think about the actions of Jesus, how many times did he meet people in the midst of their shame and show them the way out? I think so often about the woman caught in the act of adultery whose scandalous tale is told about in John 8. Talk about somebody who was bound to be buried in their shame. Her story begins in verse 3. Now the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. They made her stand in the center of the court and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women to death. So what do you say to do with her? What is your sentence? And they said this to test him, hoping that they would have grounds of accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and began writing in the ground with his finger. However, when they persisted in questioning him, he straightened up and said, He who is without any sin among you, let him be first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and began writing in the ground. They listened to his reply and they began to go out one by one, starting with the oldest ones, until he was left alone with the woman standing there before him in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She answered, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. I first want to point out that if this woman truly was caught in the act, there is quite a possibility that she was brought to Jesus undressed. The law of Moses and the Pharisees that they were so eager to quote concerning adultery required that both man and woman be put to death. Yet the man is nowhere to be found. I also find it interesting that John makes sure to include the fact that this whole scenario was set up to test Jesus. The Pharisees were so desperate to accuse him that they were willing to try anything. 
I guess they didn't realize that it was pointless to argue the letter of the law with the one who was literally the word made flesh. Let's use our imaginations for a moment. There are no more details to this story than the verses I just read, so there is a lot of room for circumstantial conjecture. John is the only apostle to even tell about this encounter. Let's say she really was undressed. Let's say this was all a setup just to entrap Jesus with how he handled this woman. What if the reason the man wasn't brought to justice was because he was in on it? What if she was raped? What were her feelings towards the man who gave her up so easily to the Pharisees? How did the Pharisees know that the act was happening at that moment so they could rush in to catch her? I really wish we had more of the story to wrap our minds around. Uh, what if the reason Jesus lowered himself to the ground was to keep her from feeling shamed by his gaze? I'm sure an undressed or even half-undressed woman being dragged through the streets drew quite a crowd. Why did none of the other disciples write about this? No one knows what Jesus wrote in the dirt. I've heard countless speculations of what it could have been. But after much persistence, Jesus finally says for anyone who is without sin to cast the first stone. I love the way the King James Version translates verse 9. It says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. How many times have we felt naked in a crowd of accusers just waiting to be judged for our mistakes? How many times have we been accused of something we never did? How often have victims been the one who suffer the punishment? How often have we engaged in activities or even relationships we knew were wrong, but couldn't untangle ourselves from their complicated webs? How often have we carried a bag of rocks around with us, not even to stone others necessarily, but more oftentimes to just pile them on our own heads? How often does our own voice merge with the voice of the Pharisee? How often does the narrative of shame paint itself across our chest so vividly that we fear that the whole world believes us to just be imposters? How many times do we look in the mirror and call ourselves every wretched name in the book without acknowledging how fearfully and wonderfully made we really are? Guilt tells us that we messed up simply because we messed up. We get up, apologize, work through the reasons that we took those actions in the first place, and we move forward. I believe that guilt is a manifestation of conviction. On the other hand, shame says you messed up because you are messed up. You will constantly be a disappointment to yourself and to others, so why even bother trying to get help? Shame blurs the line between what we have done and what has been done to us. It labels us as both villain and victim in such a way that we feel paralyzed and can never break free. But the good news is that Jesus stands before us today in spite of our nakedness and shame and offers us a drink from his well. He knows everything there is to know about us and yet he chooses to see through the condemnation and call us back to ourselves to resurrect the breath of God first breathed into our lungs at the time of our creation and to put to death that sin and shame. The most beautiful thing about this kind of love is that it's not a one-time occurrence. His love is there to heal and deliver as many times as it takes to walk us into our ultimate freedom. 
If you are in this place, seeking answers for how to silence the voice of shame and to find restoration in the arms of Jesus, then why don't we take a moment and pray this prayer together? Divine Creator, you sent your Son Jesus to earth to show us the way, the way to heal, the way to change, the way to love. Meet me in my frailties and silence the voice of shame in my life. Give me the courage to confront the dark places in myself and to give them over to you. Help me to see myself the way that you see me. Let the healing current of Holy Spirit move through my mind and body and bring resurrection. Change the narrative of my life from one of shame and destruction to one of freedom and testimony. Let me be the one in my family who by the power of the redemption of Christ finally breaks generational dysfunction and transforms my bloodline into a heritage of hope. Let this transformation be a testimony to your kindness. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I will leave you with this quote from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. I hope this musing has given you a little something to think about too. Thank you so much for joining me today for Divine Musing. For more information, head over to www.rambocory.com. I would love to connect with you on social media. You can find me at facebook.com forward slash Destiny Makes Music or on Instagram and Twitter at Des Rambo Music.